You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT The Brick. It's JT The Brick as we're ready for The Game Plan as the Las Vegas Raiders play their final home game of the season, Week 16, Saturday, December 26, 2020, as the 9-5 and Miami Dolphins are in town to take on the 7-7 and Silver and Black at Allegiant Stadium. What could have been? Uh, the Raiders lost Thursday night, a week ago Thursday night, to the Los Angeles Chargers in overtime in a game that they had first and goal at the four-yard line and could have put the game away. They weren't able to do it. They settled for a field goal. Marcus Mariota had an outstanding game in relief of Derek Carr, who suffered a groin injury, and the Raiders put up one hell of a fight in that game. Justin Herbert and the Chargers came downfield to score and to win that game by a score of 30-27, to 27, dropping the Raiders to 7-7, seven and seven, where they could have been 8-6, and six, and this would have been pretty much an elimination playoff game against the Dolphins. The Dolphins are very good. They've been playing well for a number of weeks now. Brian Flores, their head coach, has done an unbelievable job with the rebuild of this franchise. They had one big draft. One big draft turned it all around for them something that the Raiders could hope for as they get into the draft next year. And the Dolphins are one of the best defenses in all of football. And I think that's the key that we want to talk about here going into this game. The Dolphins overall have a very good defense that is balanced. They are second in the league in points per game at 18.4 coming into this game. And I'm impressed because They don't give up a lot of points, especially in the red zone. When you look at the Dolphins, the reason they're so good is they bend and they don't break. And they have a team that is really built from the back. They're secondary all the way up to their defensive line. And they're strong on the back end, which means they play pretty good pass defense overall. So when I look at the Dolphins coming into this game, I'm looking at a highly motivated team that is playing for their playoff lives. The Dolphins, with three games to go before they eliminated New England, the Dolphins had the toughest remaining schedule in football. It was New England, then at the Raiders, and at Buffalo. And excuse me, because after the Steelers played and lost their third in a row, the Dolphins are now number one in scoring defense at 18.4 because of what happened in that Steeler game. So they're legit, the number one scoring defense in football. And we know that the Raiders' defense... When it comes to points per game, is 29th. The Raiders give up 30.1 a game. The Dolphins, 18.4. That's a big deal when you're talking about roughly 12 points a game. Raiders offense is what they hang their hat on. Ranked 11th overall in total offense. Putting up 375 yards a game. The Dolphins ranked 26th at 327. What we like about the Raiders is the balance. 121 yards on the ground. 253 in the air. So the Raiders are going to have to win this game on offense. As I record the podcast, we're waiting on a decision with Derek Carr. Derek Carr clearly wants to play. You'll hear some of that coming up. He wants to play. But the question is, does John Gruden want to err on the side of caution with that groin injury? Look, the last thing I want to see is Derek get further injured and be in a situation where he has to spend the offseason rehabbing a torn groin or the, the injury gets more significant. And as John Gruden told me on radio and TV, availability is the key coming into this game. 
COVID concerns with the Silver and Black still, and the Raiders are trying to get players back on the field that have been injured over the last couple of weeks. Really, that's been the story the entire year. Keep an eye on the turnovers in this game, too. Raiders turnover ratio minus six. That's 25th in the league. Dolphins plus 10 on the plus side. That ranks fourth overall. Raiders with 80 penalties, which ranks 18th, tied. And the Dolphins uh, only 67 penalties. That ranks third overall. Very disciplined team that does a lot of good things here. So we'll get into that. Uh, The Raiders are playing out the end of their schedule. Mathematically, they would need Miami to beat Miami to lose both games. And for Baltimore to lose both games and the Raiders would have to win out, which is going to be almost impossible to do. But they have a lot to play for. Pride and the Raiders have to prove, especially players on this team, that they deserve to be back next year. And they're playing to the end of this schedule and the last game at Allegiant Stadium. Last home game where I've been at every home and away game. This will be the last home game to see live teams in person, especially Tua. Looking forward to seeing how good he is. We begin the podcast with Matt Millen, one of the most decorated Raiders of all time, the four-time Super Bowl champion, the All-American from Penn State. He had a heart transplant. He is so important to this organization and the history. One of my favorite all-time people, let alone football players and Raiders, the great Matt Millen. It's fourth and five. You know, we got a little bit closer. Um, you know, we would have thought about it, but it was fourth and five. We had him in second and ten, backed up on our own 25, and we had a penalty, a big penalty. But if it was a little bit closer, I'd have considered going for it. I know I went for it a few times earlier in the game. But to take the lead uh, with three minutes left, I thought it was the play to make at that time. We're back on the game plan and joining us, four-time Super Bowl champ, Raider legend, brilliant broadcaster and friend, Matt Millen. Matt, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. How are you and the family? Yeah, we're doing well. Thank you. You too. Yeah, a Looking forward to a, a Christmas that's not uh, as complicated as this past year has been. <laughs> yeah, and Matt, that's one of the reasons I love our conversations because we talk more about just football and we have good conversations about life and with your health and the rebound of your life with your health. How are you feeling about this year from the beginning of the news of COVID when you got it and heard about it in February and March all the way up to Christmas now and how you and your family, what have you learned from it? Well, first thing, so if you look at the numbers, you know, a guy, a friend of mine sent me a text in in the middle of the pandemic and he was looking at the numbers and he's looking at the percentages. And one of the things he said, and I think this sums it up. And he says, look, if you look at the numbers, a tiny percentage, point zero 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 one of percent of, the, of our population will get COVID. And so it's really not that big a deal right up until you get it. And that yeah. kind of sums it up, right? So you don't really even think about it until you get hit with it. And when you're hit with it, then it's a big deal. So the, the key, obviously, is to, you know, take all the necessary precautions. And, and everybody says follow the science and some things just aren't scientific, and sometimes you get it and you have no idea how it even happened. And so you just have to you just have to watch yourself. And and for myself, you know, with a with a new heart, I I gotta, you know, I'm at risk. So we, you do the best you can. That's all you can do. When you were waiting to get your new heart, and you were in the hospital, and it got 
really dicey there, Matt, as you were waiting and everybody was praying for you. I can't imagine what it must be like for you when you turn on the news at night with your wife and you see these frontline workers and the people behind the scenes that you got to know in the hospital and the people, the doctors and the nurses. What did you learn from talking to those people and what they go through in life trying to care for others? Yeah, that's that's really a great question because they're, A, they're realistic. That's the first thing. So they never they never get carried away with uh, any kind of emotion or anything, uh, and then the second thing is they're optimistic, and so they you know they like to see they're they're realistic and they'll say look this could happen, but here's where you're at and and so they're optimistic about the outcome or where you're going or how you're headed, and every now and then you know you get somebody and you just know they're not coming out, and so there were a couple guys who I was on my floor in the ICU and uh, you know I talked to them and you you knew it was. It was just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. And so then you just have to, you know, just to be as empathetic as you can and help them as much as you can. And I would go down. There was an old guy down there, and he was a World War II guy. I loved him. And uh, I would go down and talk to him about, you know, as much as I could. He called me the football guy, and I would go down when I'd take my walks and I'd sit with him. And I would just look at him, and i just, you know, you just feel sorry for the guy. His life's about to come to an end, and it could be tonight or it could be tomorrow. And eventually came, and I, it's a hard that's a hard job to have. You're in there administering to people who, who need your help, obviously, and uh, and they need your expertise. But they're still people, and so that's a my hats off to them because that's that's tough work. Matt Millen's our guest. You know, Matt, I wanted to get back to your All-American career at Penn State. And when you got to the Raiders initially, was it complete mayhem and wild? Because you tell stories about your teammates and what training camp was like and all these big games and your first of your Super Bowl. What prepared you at Penn State for what was going to be happening with the Raiders, especially socially and the impact that you were having off the field with your teammates? Yeah, well, the social part was I was never a social guy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the perception is, but I'm. I have been to maybe five parties in my life. I'm not that guy, and so the Raiders were a very social team, <laughs> and they they would like at that, that time they like you know they like to frequent a couple of the establishments, and uh, it was different for me. I never went. I was not that guy. I kind of stayed to myself. I always did. I was goofy enough without drinking, <laughs> so I don't know what I'd have been like if I had been drinking. So that was that was a that was a different part of it, but uh, the change, the carryover from Penn State to the Raiders, there was a lot of carryover. And so the first thing is fundamentals. You're fundamentals. You're fundamentally sound as a player, and the programs were built on fundamentals. And then the second thing was effort. You know, you could do whatever you want at night when they're, you know, you could have gone cruising with the twos. You could have been out with Ted Hendricks. You could have been. Yeah, it could have been doing, you know, saying with Artie and uh, Art Shell and Gene Upshaw and gone wherever they, we were going or wherever they were going. But and when you showed up the next day, you better be ready to work, and you better be ready to study, and you better be ready to be prepared because that's what it was all about. And so there was a lot of carryover, and uh, and there were some things that you know it turns your head every now and then. But uh, for the most part, heck, well, I loved it. I loved all of it, but. Uh, 
it was uh, there was a lot of carryover. Matt Millen, Matt, how pissed off do you get when you watch football and it's not fundamentally sound? The Raiders' defense now is kind of falling apart, even though the offense was scoring points. You watched last Thursday night; they had a first and goal at the four with the opportunity to win, to win the yep. game, first and goal, and they didn't do it because the defense just can't stop anybody. And fundamentally, they were out of place. They get rid of Paul Gunther. They elevate Rod Marinelli, and not just the Raider question. When you're watching football, college broadcasting, or you watch pro games, and you don't see the fundamentals, how much does that bother you? Well, you know, it doesn't – here's what bothers me. What the heck is being taught? Mm-hmm. Because if you're being taught – look, I, I don't know a coach out there who doesn't teach fundamentals, who doesn't teach coming off the ball low, who doesn't teach how to strike. And, but I, what I watch after I've heard what they've been talking about and teaching, and when I watch it, it's not there. So something's missing. Something's missing. I don't, and so it can't be that players are just doing what they want to do. Um, it's what you allow them to do. And if, if you're allowing them to do that, then that's on you as a coach. It's not on the guy as a player. And if he really, if it is on the player, then he shouldn't be playing. Then you need to get somebody better or get him out of there and put a lesser talented kid in who will do the fundamentals. But here's the thing that I, when I really look at it, JT, is the game is changing. The game has always been a, a place of change. And sometimes it's just, um, so it's just, it's a small thing like a rule change that changes the game. And sometimes it's just, it's just, um, just the overall way the game's played. And I think right now, because of some of the rules, trying to get your head out of the, out of the game uh, in terms of, you know, hitting, like I headbutted a guy every play. That's the way the game was played. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. They go up to – you watch the linebackers. I watch linebacker and defensive line play, offensive line play. You know, where the game is really the game in the physical part, very few people are physical. They, they, it's all position blocking. Defenders come out and hit you with their hands. Every now and then you see a guy who will, will give you a good thump with, your, with their forehead. And, but the game's just different, so you have to adapt to it. And um, – but I do think there are some fundamentals that don't change, and that is when you're taking somebody on, you've got to be physical. You've got to hold your point. It's not just being in the spot. It's controlling the spot. And uh, that I don't see. That, that drives me crazy. Matt Millen joins us. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Your coaching tree as a player, when you look at the coaching tree that you had and the coaches that coached you fundamentally – on your way to four Super Bowls. How do you describe it? You have one of the more unique careers of anybody I've ever interviewed, and I look at your coaching tree and who taught you, starting with Joe Paterno. Matt, maybe even want to add someone before that, and can you talk about the number of great coaches that taught you how to play football? JT, that is a great, great question and great observation. And I have to, be, I have to tell you, I, I was really fortunate every place I went in terms of the coaching not only the head coaches and the guys who led the programs, but the guys who were underneath them, because inevitably they're successful because of the people they have, right? And it started, fortunately for me, it started from my high school coach. My high school coach was a quarterback at the University of Wyoming under a coach named Bob Devaney, who went on to Nebraska and started the Nebraska when Nebraska was strong. And uh, he came back with the, with the hard-nosed coaching of that crew. And that's what I was introduced to for football. 
And from that point on, I had that in me just, you know, you've got to be physical. It's about toughness. Toughness wins, and it still does to this day. And, of course, you still have to be talented. And I went to Penn State, and uh, Joe was all about fundamentals and, you know, getting to the ball and being a smart player and, you know, all those things. And we checked the box, and, and if you do that, you can play against more talented teams as long as you don't beat yourself, you're going to be in the game. And then I go to the Raiders, and I and uh, you know, and the first thing I know when as soon as I thought of the Raiders, I thought of Al Davis, and the second thing I thought about was John Madden. And of course, John wasn't in broadcasting; he had just started my rookie year. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then Coach Flores, but the influence was strong. I used to think that these were all. Al Davisisms, and I've since learned that there were a lot of Maddenisms, and those Maddenisms were really strong for me, and and really that was really what I really started to form my own philosophy of how the game should be played, and and that was the the biggest influence on me. And then I went to San Francisco, and of course Bill Walsh was still there, not as the head coach, though so George Seifert was there, but it was you know there was a lot of Bill Walsh stuff. And there's a, a lot of carryover. You know, there's a lot of Raiderisms in, in with Bill Walsh. Because, of course, Bill Walsh had coached for the Raiders early in his career. Mm-hmm. And then my last, my last stop was in Washington with Joe Gibbs. And, uh, you know, there's a, that whole group that I was with, it was all connected together. Joe Gibbs was uh, down in San Diego. And San Diego, that's where Al and all those guys started uh, Sid Gilman. Who was the head coach down there? I'm Sid Gilman and right Don, now, Corey- Don Coriel and Sid Gil- Don Coriel and Sid Gilman before that, yeah, right? Sid. So Sid was yeah. the Sid was the grandfather. And Don and Don was down there with uh with, with Gibbsy, but Sid was still there. And um and so there's a common thread woven through all that stuff. Kind of the outlier was was Coach Paterno, but um they all kind of said the same kind of things and they believed in the same kind of football. Matt, what about your broadcasting tree? I- I'm looking at it on Wikipedia, and I've interviewed you, and we've been friends and work on the Raiders broadcast in the preseason. I mean, amazing how you broke in. You were a natural. And then who taught you? Was it someone in the truck? Was it a consultant? Who helped you make that swing and come in comfortably as a broadcaster? Um, I, nobody. <laughs> yeah. The, okay. guy, the guy who helped me the most was Coach Madden. Okay. Coach Madden was my mentor, and it was a typical Madden-Millen mentorship. It was like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, I think you should try that. Okay, I'll try that. <laughs> <laughs> John, John Madden was perfect for me because John, John has such great common sense, and he has such a practical way of doing things, and it's so real, and it was perfect for me. And John's a guy who John won't give you an answer. John will give you a question, and he makes you think. And so if I'd ask him a question, he'd answer it with another question, and it'd just make you start thinking about stuff until he got you where you needed to be. John Madden, to me, has been a godsend. I, I love him to this day. I think he's one of the very, very, very unique people in all of sports, but he's one of those people that's very unique in 
if you're fortunate enough to come across one of those guys in your own life. He's just, uh, John Madden is the best to me. I, I love the guy. Was it humbling to be compared to him, the styles with the way you were calling games and as an analyst? And a lot of people I remember early on made that comparison that you sounded like him as you were building your brand. Yeah, I, you know, I never thought of any of that stuff. I just do, if I had a, que- a football question, I asked John. Mm-hmm. Or if there was an X and O thing, you know, we'd talk about it. Or we'd get on the bus and, you know, we'd start talking about quarter coverage. And we'd start talking about, you know, in the, I remember when RPOs first came out. We 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 had a whole, uh, what, you would call, what do you call it, not napkins, but the uh, tablecloth. John would take out a pen and he'd... He'd draw up table, on tablecloths all across the country, man. He'd have X's and O's everywhere. <laughs> how we're doing this coverage or how you're trying to attack a coverage or here's the weaknesses of this zone and, you know, this is a five under and here's two deep and you know, here's the weakness of this. I mean, just so many different things that you, you know, that I've learned and gone through and he's been invaluable. And was it humbling? We never thought of it like that. It was just like try to do your best. Yeah, learn something else. I used to call him after every game. Every wow. single game, every weekend, I'd call him no matter where he was in the country. And we'd ride on that bus from coast to coast. We had a, had a blast with him. I learned more than I ever thought I could look, know through John Madden. It's an incredible football life, Matt Millen. Hey, Matt, the Detroit years when you were there as president and CEO, when you look back on that stage in your life and you come to grips with it and the team and the struggles, what do you think about it now, looking back on all the friendships you made, the struggles. I was thinking of the Jets looking for their first win, and they got it against the Rams as you were fighting for a win with Detroit. How have you brought that perspective in to your life at this age and what you're going through now? Well, simple. So, so for that particular thing, so they they hired me in a job that I wasn't prepared for. I thought I was, but mm-hmm. I didn't know, and I didn't even know what I didn't know. That is not about football. The X's and O's of football were paled in comparison to building an organization. And so I figured it out maybe in about my fourth year. I started to figure out what we needed to do. We needed to change a culture. Changing a culture is not building a team. That's only a part of it. Changing the culture is the whole organization. And changing a culture starts with who you let through those doors or what they stand for and what they allow. And if you don't pick the right ones, then it's your fault. And it was my fault. I didn't even know what I was looking for. I didn't realize it until it was too late. And by that time, that culture is already bad. And it hasn't changed. Unfortunately, it hasn't changed. The players have, the players have changed, but the culture hasn't changed. That's something that has to start at the very top. And, it ha- and you have to define what it's going to be, and then you have to stick with it no matter what. Because... I, the culture that I wanted to build was kind of a Raider culture, which I fully didn't understand because I came into the culture with the culture already having been established. And that culture was, look, do what you want to do, but when you show up, you need to work hard. And you know, you have to understand, we're going to win, and we're going to do whatever it takes to win. And remember the sign that said when I walked in my rookie year, cheating is encouraged. You know, it was it was a joke right, for us to, to kind of laugh at until you peeled it back. And what they're saying is, look, you need to do whatever you need to do to win. 
Winning is what matters. And so by taking and adapting that philosophy uh, going to Detroit, I really skipped all the building, all the parts that got there to build it up. And that was all the stuff that John Madden and Al Davis had done to get there. And I, you know, I, I was too stupid to even look at that. So I missed a lot of stuff, and I, my biggest takeaway was I wasn't ready. Matt, finally now you're ready with everything you do. You're in the shop. Your wife says, hey, we're going to do an interview with JT. What does the rest of your week look like, day look like? Tell, take everyone quickly as we wrap it up behind the scenes on what's next for you during this COVID year and what you're looking forward to in 2021. Well, I'm still looking forward to the same things, you know, so I, I still love the game. I still enjoy the game. Um, I, I like to call them, so I'll look forward to doing that again. And then I'm also, you know, like I said, I'm in the shop and I'm always building something. I was just on the phone out there ordering some lumber. And I have a mill here now, so I cut my own lumber. And I have a kiln, so I dry it. And so, um, you know, I, I always keep busy that way. But the biggest thing is just to, you know, just stay busy. Keep keep him, keep him busy building stuff. And my wife will have me building something until I croak. So that <laughs> I'm not worried about that. I enjoy our conversations. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas, and thanks for coming on with me. The fans love it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, JT. Take care of yourself. Have a great Christmas. You too. Matt Millen. Great. Unbelievable conversation. Whenever I talk to Matt Millen, and that's one of the longer interviews I've done as a football life. A football life, if you've seen... I mean, imagine waiting for a heart replacement, getting it, and then going right back into your wood mill, purchasing lumber, building things, then going broadcasting games. It's the first time I ever talked to him about the Detroit years. And I thought about it because I knew we were going to have the interview, and I wanted to go back to the Jets winning their first game. And the Jets won their game. Well, when Matt was with the Lions, as he ran the Lions, they had an 0-16 year. And I've always had my radio shows, always been pretty big in Detroit. Always had a good following in Detroit. And I remember the people that would be hard on Matt, rightfully so. He just told you why it didn't work there. But I always thought that Matt was great. He's a legacy, legendary football player. And the Lions failed to win a road game for three years, 0-24. 0-24 at one point. And a lot of people blamed Matt. And a lot of people came after him hard. And then when I got to know him, Over the last 20 years, I said, man, that Lions chapter is big for everybody in Detroit. But if you look at his entire life in general, it's a tiny, tiny part of this. And the impact that he had on the NFL, he's one of the all-time greats. You know, the all-time great, unique human beings to ever play football. All-American at Penn State under Joe Paterno. That Al Davis, Sid Gilman, Joe Gibbs. You know, John Madden, Tom Flores. Oh, my God. He walks into a room. Think of all the people that Matt Millen had an impact on. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. The game plan. That's why we do this, to have long-form conversations with great individuals and not many men that I know better in life than the great Matt Millen. Yeah, Derek Carr, is. Uh, he, he practiced a little bit in a limited fashion. And uh, both he and Marcus uh, took turns at quarterback. We'll see how it goes this week. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians. But we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. We welcome in Joe Fortenbaugh from ESPN 
Daily Wager and Joe, we both covered the Raiders at their former flagship back in the Bay Area. What do you think of the move of the franchise to the entertainment capital of the world? I like it so much that I followed them and moved here myself. So that should probably give you the answer right there. Um, I had lived here in Vegas prior to going up to the Bay Area. So to go up there to cover the Raiders, to watch them come here, and then to have the opportunity to move back to work with ESPN has been tremendous because the rise of professional sports in this town, starting with hockey, followed by the big players at the NFL, followed by what could come later, just shows how far Las Vegas has come. And the Raiders are the perfect team for this town. The colors, the history, the legacy. Once we get to a point where we can get people in the stadium, I can't wait to see how the city wraps their arms around this franchise. Well, Joe, the Raiders started off the season really strong, but has struggled as of late, dropping four or five. What do you think was the turning point of the season so far with this team? That's an interesting question because I'm wondering, is it something that happened this season or is it something that's been a problem for them under John Gruden? And that's what I'm trying to figure out. We saw them run out of gas a little bit last season. They started the year six and four. They closed one and five. This year, we're seeing something similar. They started six and three. We were talking about the playoffs. Derek Carr's having one of his best seasons. The team is on the rise. Since then, they've gone one and four. The only win came against the Jets on that late Hail Mary to Henry Ruggs, which was a beautiful pass from Derek Carr. But they've been outscored by 58 points over that five-game stretch. So what I'm wondering now is, if you're the Raiders, you got to take a good, long look at yourself and ask, what are we doing in the preseason, the offseason, and early in the season that's leading to these negative results late in the year because it's starting to be a trend. If you go through John Gruden's history as a head coach, he struggled in the month of December, 23 and 39 in the month of December, when he comes off a month in November where he's been fantastic, 32 and 24. So I don't know if it's specifically one thing that happened this year. I think it's a trend that's developing under the head coach. And if they find a way to where they can close stronger, that's going to be what puts this team over the top gets them into the postseason, and makes them a legitimate, consistent contender. Joe, Derek Carr's been having a big season before the groin injury, beating the Saints, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Assess his play, Derek Carr, this year and what you've seen. I like it. I think the addition of Henry Ruggs has been huge because you have this true vertical threat who can stretch the field. Darren Waller doesn't need anything out of my mouth to support or advocate for what he's been doing. He has been fantastic. I think the most important thing about Waller is the New England game. And people would say, well, why are you bringing up the New England game? He wasn't very effective there. Bill Belichick's entire defensive game plan was to take Darren Waller out of that game. And if Bill Belichick is going to design a defensive game plan around one guy, it shows you how important he is to the offense. I think what you've seen for Derek is that he's got a legitimate running game with Josh Jacobs. He's got the vertical threat in rugs. Nelson Aguilar has been a tremendous offseason signing. Coming from a guy who grew up in the Philadelphia Eagle, the Philadelphia area as an Eagles fan, you know, Aguilar – that transaction did not sit well with Philadelphia. So to see him doing this well with the Raiders is a testament to the Oakland, or excuse me, the Raiders and Las Vegas front office and how well they assess his value to this team. So Carr struggled at times in his career, but a lot throughout his career, he hasn't had a great arsenal around him. Now he's got the pieces around him and we're seeing him flourish in that situation. Joe, let's talk about Allegiant Stadium as we hear. What do you think? If you think of live music, I know you love that. College football, college basketball, boxing. 
We've gone to fights together, and now obviously football. This stadium, what will it do to help the Raiders in years to come and help this local economy? So I drive past it every single day on the way in. I live in Henderson, so it's the 215 to the 15, and then you head north before I get off on Flamingo to come to the studios here. And every single day to and from work, I drive past this thing. And every single day, I am amazed at the architecture. I can think back to the days where you and I were going to places like the Meadowlands, Veterans Stadium, Three Rivers Stadium. Now you've got these beautiful, sleek designs. I can't wait to actually get inside the place. And I think the fact that now that a a town like this, that so many people like to come visit, the conventions that come here, that stadium is going to open up the the avenues for everything. I mean, a Super Bowl, no doubt. A Final Four, you got to imagine that's going to happen. College football, bigger bowl games. You'd have to figure that as great as the Las Vegas Bowl has been, you can start to up the bowl game offerings now because that's what people want to do. People go to the Super Bowl because it's a vacation. They want to go to bowl games because it's a vacation as well as a game. Vegas is one of the ultimate destinations, and that stadium is going to go a long way towards providing those opportunities for this town and for those sports. Now, Joe, as an analyst on ESPN Daily Wager, you talk about gambling and sports. Let's talk about the growing role gambling is playing in professional sports and how the marriage between the two will look in the future. It's a revenue opportunity, no doubt. I mean, let's be honest, this is something that's been in the shadows for a very long time, millions if not billions of dollars. You hear the numbers every year during March Madness and during the Super Bowl about how much will be bet illegally. So now we find ourselves in a time in this country where we need to open up new revenue streams. We need to create jobs. This is an opportunity where you can do that. You can tax that. And I think New Jersey has shown everybody that outside of Nevada, it can be done and it can be done profitably. Now. There's, a, there's some growing pains. You know, the operators have to understand how to treat the customers. The customers have to, how to understand how to be responsible with it. You know, we all want to be adults and we all want freedoms, but we've got to be responsible in the process. So there's a lot of opportunity here. And now with the sports leagues, it opens up ventures in which teams can partner advertising with different providers, uh, things of that nature. So the opportunities are there. We hope that people, like with everything, we can handle it responsibly. But it's a lot of fun because now you bring it out of the shadows and it creates some content, some opportunity for people to become more educated about it. And it's just another avenue to have fun. I personally have always been a big fan. I've talked about it for a while. It's why I moved to Vegas in 2011. But I do understand there are a lot of people that are still very big supporters of the traditional broadcast and that they don't necessarily want to hear these references creeping in. I can understand that completely. That's why I think there's going to be an avenue for separate broadcasts entirely, alternative broadcasts in which you can consume multiple levels of content as you watch an NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB game, or any other sport for that matter. All right, Joe, let's fly through some NFL topics. Who's your MVP race leader? Well, it's going to come down to Mahomes and Rodgers right now. And as resistant as I have been to Rodgers throughout the course of the season, I feel like I have to give him the edge. He's got an average defense at best, but the way he is playing right now with the weapons around him and the numbers he's putting up week in and week out, this is the best I think we, we may have ever seen him. Patrick Mahomes is right there. So if you go Mahomes over Rodgers, I can understand. Mahomes has been great. But I think the Chiefs, despite the fact that they're still winning games, It's not looking pretty, and I think that's going to hurt his chances a little bit with the voters, but both guys have been tremendous. I lean slightly to Aaron Rodgers. Who do you have as the front runner for Coach of the Year? So Brian Flores in Miami has done a remarkable job, absolutely remarkable job. I still give the edge to Sean McDermott in Buffalo. I do, and I know some people will disagree with that, but 
Buffalo hasn't won the division since 95. Buffalo hasn't been a legitimate contender since 95, right? Now, all of a sudden, not only are they one of the big-time players in the league, they took a quarterback that everyone thought wasn't going to be any good, and they've turned him into one of the best in the business, one of the bright young stars. That says something about continuity, coaching, and patience. For me, the edge goes to Sean McDermott, but Brian Flores is right there. Joe, I don't know if you need a mulligan, but who do you have for the Super Bowl, your Super Bowl prediction? Ooh, so right now, you see, the thing is, I, I really, <laughs> I've been advocating for the Rams for quite some time because I love the defense and what McVay does from a coaching perspective. I do believe they're going to get the Seahawks this weekend. I have been so resistant to the idea of Green Bay because I just keep waiting for the bottom to fall out. But if you grab the number one seed this year, it's such a huge advantage because you're the only team getting a bye. And, and even though we don't really have home field advantage, that weather is going to be big for the Packers. So I have to find myself leaning to them right now. In the AFC, it's wide open. I do think there's some opportunity to beat the Chiefs. But to be honest with you, Pittsburgh was going to be my pick for a while, and they have completely fallen off the deck. I'd like to say Buffalo. It would go a long way at my house. My wife grew up in Buffalo. She's a Bills fan. My in-laws are in town. So I'll say the Bills, and then make sure you let me know when I can get this on TV for them to see, to buy myself some goodwill for the holiday season. I've always admired Chan Gailey. He's a good friend. He's, he's very creative. And um, while a lot of their skill guys were hurt last week, they proved that they, they can find any way possible to move the football. They did it on the ground, and they did it in convincing fashion. Orlando Alzelgari, the big O, is one of the best. He is the king of Miami. He is a diehard Dolphin fan, and he joins us on Raider Nation Radio. Big O, good to talk to you, my brother, and you were right about this Dolphins team. They were coming a year ago, and now they look like they're very close to the playoffs. How are you? Uh, we're doing great, my brother. It's just, you know, JT, it's so nice to get out of the dysfunction and the craziness that we've had here for 20 years, and you know, Chris Greer, God bless him, he finally got an opportunity, and uh, he found himself a hell of a coach in Brian Flores, and it looks like we, we got a good apple to fall from the Belichick tree, and uh, just things are, you know, life is different right now. It just, it looks like they're doing things that are competent and smart. Uh, they're, they're drafting well, they're trading well, they're signing guys off free agency. Uh, it's just, uh, it's been amazing, and uh um, uh, you know, as a Dolphins fan, I got to tell you, it's it's nice because I grew up with a great franchise, and then all of a sudden, for 20 years, you know, it was a rudderless ship, and and now it looks like they're they're back on their way to becoming a relevant and uh, and a very good franchise. So football is fun once again down here, JT. Tell us more about Brian Flores coming from Belichick and how he created. Was it a new culture last year? And then the decision, Herbert or Tua, both those quarterbacks are playing at an extremely high level, but Tua looks unbelievable the last couple of weeks. And then I look at these defensive numbers, Big O. Defensive scoring, number one in the league, least points given up. Is it the defense, the offense, or the overall culture of this team playing all three phases? Oh, it's the culture, baby. Uh, think about this, all right? And you and I talked about this last year, right? When everybody was saying tanking, what did I tell you? I told you they weren't tanking. I told you that they were rebuilding through youth is what it is. They didn't want to tie themselves to big contracts. They didn't want to uh, tie themselves to veterans who are progress stoppers for young guys. They wanted to build young and teach them how to win. Well, you think about it. They lose their first two games by over 100 points. Then they go 0-3, and they go 0-4. And the world is picking on them. We got Steve Young saying that, uh, you know, they're putting players at risk. We got Dominic Foxworth saying, 
this is, you know, uh, disgraceful for the league. I had a lawyer that was DMing me every, every other day that the Dolphins should be investigated. And so you have all this controversy. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody's trashing you. You lose 0-3. You lose 0-4. You lose 0-5. You lose 0-7. You, lo- you usually lose your team. Well, that didn't happen. Brian Flores went 5-4 and four after going 0-7. They knocked out the Patriots in the final game of the season, sending them to the wild card and probably the beginning of the end of the dynasty. And, and that shows you that Brian Flores had the attention of all those players because they never gave up on him, no matter how much they made fun of the franchise and the way they were doing things and losing games. Those guys stayed with it. And so the culture was built last year. And now you add these guys and this incredible draft. But, JT, they've got three rookies on the line right now. I mean, that's amazing. They've got rookies all over the place participating. They don't even need Tua for this to be a great draft. That's how good this draft has been with guys like Raekwon Davis and Brandon Jones and all these other young cats that are really helping out. The culture has changed because Brian Flores has demanded it, because Chris Greer has brought in exceptional people like Brian Flores, and I think that's why they've been able to survive. Hell, they're 0-2 to start this season, and they're 9-5. Yeah. and So you do the math. They're 9-3 and in their last 12 games. I mean, it's really amazing. So if you look at it from the 0-7 mark till now, they've done a heck of a lot more winning than losing. And right now, JT, it looks like they're a year or two ahead of this rebuild schedule because for you to tear this team down to the bone, and remember Minka Fitzpatrick didn't want to be a part of this, so they got rid of him. Uh, Bill O'Brien offered a deal that was so ridiculous, they couldn't turn it down. And they took the Laramie Tunsil trade, which right now they're looking at the sixth pick in the draft because of that. And they replaced Laramie Tunsil already with Austin Jackson. So everything has changed here. The culture, the, the, the competence, it's just a different feeling. And players feel like they have a chance. And you've been around football long enough to see teams, and so have I, that know that they don't have a chance from the beginning of the season. And by December, they're already making plans for their vacations. It's a whole different ball game here. The culture has changed, and the players have completely bought into it. Orlando Alzalgari, the big O, one of the legendary sports talk hosts in Miami. Join us as we game plan for the Dolphins and the Raiders on Saturday. Your perception of the Raiders, Raiders were 6-3 and three with the hardest schedule in football. They went through a gauntlet coming out of the break, and they're 6-3, and three, and everybody's saying, wow, they just beat Patrick Mahomes. They beat Drew Brady. They've been in all these games, and now the back end of the schedule is supposed to open up, but injuries mounting and what's happened for this team as of late. It's a long road trip for Miami, first time they'll ever play in Vegas, and the playoffs are on the line. Are Dolphin fans taking the Raiders seriously? Oh, no. Well, you, you, can, you can bet that that team will take the Raiders seriously. They already won in L.A., or, you know, beating the Rams. So they've already won a couple of times uh, out there. So it's not like this is a team that will lack any confidence out there, JT. And I think they're going to get Devontae Parker back this week. That really should help. I don't expect Gesicki to play. Maybe Jakeem Grant is another one that's probably out this week. 
But I would imagine that Parker will come back, and so will Miles Gaskin. And he should help out in the depth. Salvan Ahmed had a really good game last week along with, uh, with Breda. And I know the Raiders are struggling right now on defense. There is no way in the world that they're going to overlook the Raiders, JT. This team is extremely motivated and focused. If the Raiders win this game, it's not by fluke or by luck. They just outplayed Miami. And it's not because Miami laid down or anything like that. They will come in. They will take that team serious like they've done every game out there. Uh, you've got a, you know how it is, JT. They've got a whole bunch of young guys. And all these young guys, they just want to prove that they belong. They want to prove that, they're, that they can be you know, pillars of stability for this team for a long time to come. So the Brandon Jones of the world and the Raekwon Davises and the Austin Jacksons and all these young guys and Tua, they're going to want to perform at the highest level. So you can expect a really focused Dolphins team on Saturday night, my brother. Wrapping it up with the Big O. Big O, me and you love music. You've been in my house. You've been in Vegas. Wait till you see this stadium. I mean, your head is going to pop because we both like rock. We both like music. We like boxing. This for a concert venue is going to blow you away because it's a Raiders stadium. So you're going to feel like you're in the home of the silver and black but you're going to see the most iconic rock acts come through Vegas when they can only play for 18, 19,000 or the MGM Grand or even T-Mobile. Now they have a concert venue with a parasol window that can open up before the show comes on, clubs everywhere. It just has the feel of a rock hall, and you love rock and roll. I can't wait to get you out here. Oh, dude, I can't wait to go see not only a game at the new stadium, but a concert. Hell, I hung on to my Pearl Jam tickets in Oakland I've got them for two nights because I was going earlier this year. I was going to go see Pearl Jam. They were going to be at Oakland for a couple nights, and then I was flying into Vegas for the draft. That's because I was supposed to broadcast from Vegas for the draft, and we're going to have about 300 Dolphin fans that were joining us for a big old draft party that we were going to have out there. So I'm with you know, my brother. And listen, the last uh, concert I went to was UFO uh, February 28th. (laughs) I know the date and everything. I saw him in Clearwater, Florida, and I saw him the night before in Ponte Vedra because this was UFO's last tour, and I know some of the guys, so I was able to go backstage and hang out with them, and that was the last concert that I've been to so far. I don't think I've done this, JT, where I've gone 10 months without a concert. That just doesn't go. I, I don't think I can go a couple weeks without a concert. You know what I'm saying? So I am jonesing badly. And now I know that I can go to the Brooklyn Bowl, and I can go to the MGM, and now I can go to the uh, Vegas Stadium to go check out a concert. Looking forward to to rocking with you, baby, in Vegas. No doubt about it. Hey, thanks for coming coming on and previewing the Dolphins. It's a big game, obviously, for the Dolphins and their playoff hopes, and the Raiders need a win to bounce back. I'll talk to you soon. All the best. Have a great holiday. Much love. You guys be good out there. Be safe. Merry holidays. You have to play to get better at this game. You have to gain experience. And the more the team as a whole can practice and play together, the better your team's going to be. And uh, I feel like when he said that, I took it, I I just take it to heart. You know, the first thing he told me when he met me is you have to be available. And I said, yes, sir. And so I've done everything in my power to make myself available uh, this week. And I'm going to continue to try my best to do that because I told him and promised him I'd do that. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Game Plan for everyone at Silver and Black Productions, I'm JT. I hope you had a great Christmas holiday. 
I hope you have an outstanding new year. We got one more left as we get you ready for the Denver Broncos on the road. That will be the final game of the season, January 3rd at Mile High. Have a great week and go Raiders. Thank you for listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders podcast network. 